Everybody, welcome back to Butter with That, a movie podcast where some friends from Philadelphia get together to talk about, of all things, movies. Uh, I am joined, as I so often am, by uh, my lovely co-hosts Sam, Christine, and Connor. Welcome to all of you guys, and welcome to you listeners. As we are launching into a new theme that we uh, kicked off last week, we are talking about, uh, in the, kind of in celebration of our now having been on the air for roughly four years. Uh, we're returning to our initial theme, our inaugural theme of underrated movies. Uh, we have a pretty fun selection this week. Uh, it's perhaps debatable whether or not this movie is underrated, but we'll come to find out. Uh, but before we get to that, I uh, just want to go around the horn, touch base with everybody and see how everyone's doing and what everybody's been watching. Doing good. had mentioned last week that I went to the movie theater to see Top Gun. Also... Uh, saw another movie in the theater, which was a one night only viewing. And it's a movie, a Bollywood movie that came out last year called Liger. And it's about a boxer who overcomes uh, many challenges in his life to rise to become the most fit. I should specify, not just MMA fighter. He becomes like Ah. a world champion Indian MMA fighter and does a lot of dancing and singing over the course of the film. And it was pretty wild. It was a wild ride and it was a fun, like late night screening that night only. So it was a fun movie to watch um, on the big screen with other folks who were really just digging it. And I was digging it too. Nice. I think a couple weeks ago, I mentioned I had started watching Blackbird with Taron Edgerton. And I think when I talked about it, I was like, I don't really know. I'm going to give it some like more episodes, but like, I'm not too thrilled with what I saw. I think this is a really good example of like, you have to be in the right headspace and it's like the right time and and space and place. Uh, I went home last weekend to see my parents and we watched the first four episodes of Blackbird. Oh my God. It's so good. I can't believe I wasn't into it at first. It's so fucking good. Uh, It is based on a true story. Uh, This guy, James Keen, he gets arrested. He go, he's um, convicted. He goes to prison for 10 years. That's what he's sentenced to. And the FBI comes in with a deal. They're like, hey, we'll commute your sentence if you get transferred to this prison and you get this one guy to confess to killing all of these people and telling us where the body is. I actually like it so much. I got James James Keen's book uh, is called In With the Devil, A Fallen Hero, A Serial Killer, and A Dangerous Bargain for Redemption. So I'm so excited to read that. Mm, Got to get that Butter Book Club going. I don't really have anything to report on, so I'm going to pass it back to you, Dave. Well, I saw a great movie called Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, and... <laughs> Folks are just going to have to bear with me. It's just going to keep coming up. Well, I did actually, though, uh, I did see a different movie. Uh, this one in theaters, I saw uh, George Miller's newest offering, that 3,000 Years of Longing. It was an interesting flick. I, it was one that I really enjoyed 
uh, at the time sort of like washed over me and I really fell in love with the storytelling and the way that it frames the world that it's building. Uh, and then when I walked away, I started, uh, th- some of the criticism started uh, bubbling up in my brain. And there's a lot to criticize about that movie. Uh, I think George Miller is generally uh, pretty spot on. This one, uh, maybe a little bit less so. So I'd be interested to see what folks think of that as uh, folks maybe check that out in theaters or await that on streaming. It's um, an interesting flick. I have heard that movie be lumped in with whale when it comes to fat phobia and the representation of fat people in both of those films. So usually I try to stay away from things like that because it's just way too triggering. But I don't know. I kind of want to see what people are talking about for myself. Uh, I think I find that it. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. I don't know that I it. I don't know that it's it's necessarily, and this isn't to dismiss anyone's opinion, uh, but I don't know that it's necessarily fat phobia so much as it is uh, othering and eroticizing heaviness, which is also can also be a complicated and bad thing. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I don't know. If it's fat phobic, but it's part of the culture of a problematic discussion about that kind of thing. So I, I don't know, or if that falls into the quality of fat phobia, that that may be the case. I'm not sure. I think that it does. I mean, when you think about people who are homophobic, uh, there mm. is some type of fetishization. Why is that so hard sometimes <laughs> with people who have those feelings, right? So, like, it, it, I think it's under that umbrella. Very fair point. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it also uh, does a bit of other cultural othering uh, in presenting characters that aren't provided their own voice. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a messy one for George. Um, so some mixed feelings on that uh, of a filmmaker that I think otherwise knocks it out of the park every time, including the movie that we're going to be talking about now. So uh, George, uh, George Miller uh, was not responsible for directing this film, depending upon whom you ask, but uh, played a crucial role in its screenplay and development. That being my selection for the underrated movie uh, this time around at year four, uh, which is 1995's Babe. So Babe, for those who aren't familiar with the movie, is pretty much the story of a small um a small piglet runt who is rescued uh, or not even rescued selected uh kind of at random from a piggery uh and entered into a county fair where you guess the pig's weight uh farmer hoggett as played by the lovely james cromwell uh steps in and correctly guesses the weight of the pig and takes in this pig to his farm where uh babe the titular piglet of the film uh comes to experience and navigate the culture and uh, sort of class system of the barnyard while trying to find his place. But also uh, Farmer Hoggett, uh, Cromwell's character, is a uh, sheep farmer who also competitively uh, showcases and trains his sheepdogs. And uh, the most unlikely of circumstances uh, results in Babe uh, becoming a sheep pig and sort of shocking the world with his uh, his uh his ingenuity at the uh at the at that process, but uh, not through the normal lens that we uh we see it through, and that's ex- is explored in a lot of interesting ways in the movie. Uh, that's a very vague summary of a very simple film. So, <laughs> but it does incorporate an awful lot of things. I think there is a tremendous amount of depth uh, to what is ostensibly a charming children's movie, and uh, I find that to be really engaging. So. I find it to be underrated myself, uh, especially because most of the time when this movie is mentioned, people just kind of return to the uh, penultimate line of uh, that'll do pig, that'll do. 
But there is a great deal more girth and uh, depth to this movie that uh, we can dig into and explore. So uh, I've seen this movie many, many times. I owned it on VHS as a child, and it was one of those movies that, like, if I was home from school sick, was uh, one of the regular rotation movies, so I've seen it a lot. But to my co-hosts, I I think, if I'm remembering correctly, either everyone has seen this or thought they had seen it before. Is is that the case all around? I... I thought I watched it before, but then I, when Dave, when you pitched this movie, I was like, oh yeah, I think I've seen Babe. And then when I turned it, I was like, I've never seen this movie. I confused it with Charlotte's Web, um, which talking to other people in my life seemed to be a kind of fairly understandable. Um, other people were with me and kind of mixing up these two uh, beloved pig-based properties from our childhood. And two pieces of media with a talking pig? What are the chances? Of course we're going to get those confused. Jesus. Uh, yes, I had seen Babe before, uh, not that much, maybe once or twice, but, uh, yes, I've seen it before. I also had seen it before, but it had been a while and boy, is it haunting. Like this movie, I think will sit with me for a long time. And I already knew what was around the corner, but, but. I'll get into it later, but wow, this movie has really um, shaken me. I've been shook. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose I, I, I don't really have much of a, a structure or a plan or a map of the, of this movie. I, I think it'll probably just be fun to be uh, pigs and slop with this one, especially because I've, I've seen it so many times I could just go on and on. So I, I'm more interested to see what my co-hosts think about this movie, and then uh, perhaps I'll weigh in here and there, and we'll... See if we can determine whether or not we feel this film falls under the category of underrated movies. So, uh, babe, uh, what do you guys think? Okay, so a couple things. One, to start all of this off with, when I was talking to one particular roommate about having to watch Babe, they went, oh, Connor. And I was like, no, Dave. And they went, Dave. <laughs> can we get that update with every episode, Sam, of who they guessed is the pick? Yeah, uh, okay. so I imagine so that- it's unexpectedly lighthearted, uh, given my my uh, my recommendations thus far. Considering the last pick you had was the master, yeah, <laughs> and songs from the second floor before that, yeah, oh, yeah. it's been uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's time to lighten the mood a little. But you know what, though, upon rewatching, perhaps not. Perhaps it is right in line, Dave. <laughs> it is a it is a children's movie where death lurks around every corner. Yeah. And okay, so I think that this is an underrated movie for me, at the very least. When I was thinking about this film and also getting it confused with Charlotte's Web, I was like, you know what? I really I haven't seen it that often. It was not something that I had in rotation. And I I was thinking about why. And as I was watching it uh for the the podcast. It hit me. Uh, my mom never let me watch Bambi because she thought that Bambi's mother being killed by like a human is just like way too much. And then I remembered that as I was watching Dave and I went, that's exactly why I haven't seen it that often. Um, I think there was not a stretch of five minutes where I didn't have hot tears rolling down my face. Um, and there was one point uh, where I thought almost walked into traffic because I was so upset. So uh, <laughs> I I enjoyed it. There were moments I laughed. Uh, I laughed through tears. 
Am I glad to have watched this? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe, yeah, probably. But also, like Christine said, I will be haunted, haunted by this. It's funny too because my other recommendation, as far as children's movies, uh, one was a goofy movie, of course. This is comparatively lighter, but the other was uh, the Secret of Them. Which is another one of my childhood favorites, along with this one. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I definitely, as a child, was uh, more into children's entertainment that, at the very least, was comfortable confronting mortality, <laughs> among other things. I think what's interesting is that it was always a joke of, like, how Miller, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, the creator of Mad Max also did... Uh, was involved in the production of Babe and Babe in the Big City. Ha ha. Wh- what a juxtaposition. And Happy But then feet. when you're watching, and Happy, well, I can't speak for Happy Feet, but when I was watching Babe, I was like, this is so fucked up and dark that I, it makes total sense that Miller had a hand. Now, you know, not to give Noonan, it's uh, Char- Charles Noonan. Chris, Chris Noonan, yeah. Chris Noonan. Uh, yes. So directed by Chris Noonan, but co-written by Miller. It makes total sense to me. It like the the way that the characterization of the humans make total sense to me. The characterization of the animals, this sort of like, as you mentioned, Dave, uh, sort of class system hierarchy, like literal doggy dog world. Uh, everyone fighting for attention and resources, a comment on the uh, meat industry. It, it all made sense that he would be a part of this production. Yeah, that's that's George. You know, um, if you're if he's going to make a children's movie, then it's going to address class, gender, prejudice, empathy. <laughs> Every character will have a tidally resolved arc. He's a he's a hell of a writer. Or at least, at the very least, a hell of a screenwriter. When you first pitched Babe as your underrated pick, I was like, oh, is it? Is it underrated? And then after watching it, uh, this film is stunning. I think it's a children's movie that it's one of those that works for kids. It works for adults. Stunning production design. Um, I mean, it's a Henson movie. I, I had no idea that the Henson company was involved in Babe. Um, it's more like Jurassic Park than I ever would have thought it would be in terms of melding actual creatures, animatronics, CG. It's just a really stunning film that I haven't stopped thinking about. Christine, you brought up, and Sam, too, lots of great points that I totally agree with as well. One big surprise that really elevated the film for me um, was the appearance of Magda Subanski, who is a a uh, pretty well-known uh, Australian comedian who's in one of my favorite TV shows of all time, Kath and Kim, uh, which is an Australian comedy. Wait, um, how, Connor, I'm so sorry. How are we not talking about Kath and Kim? <laughs> you know Kath and Kim? I know. I was, like, obsessed. And I would tell all my friends. I was like, have you guys watched the show? And they're like, how are we not? This is a conversation from another. Wait. Okay, keep going. I can't we'll, we'll move it to the group chat after this. But so um, she plays um, Esme Hoggett, um, Farmer Hoggett's wife, and she is dynamite in Kathy Kim. And so as the title credits rolls, like, oh, yeah, I know James Cromwell's that Magnus Bansky. And I was like, is that Sharon from Kathy Kim? 
Um, and she's not given like a ton, a ton, a ton of material, but I think what she's given um, just really shines. And I think this movie also, I don't know, Dave, if you want to talk about this, a real interesting fairy tale vibe of like, are we in Australia, America, England? Like it's at first it was confusing and then it felt otherworldly in like a really compelling way of like, we're transcending time and space, um, which also kind of ties into the structure of the movie, which I have some questions about um, that I'd be interested to get into as well. So overall, Babe was stunning. It's on Tubi right now for free. So if you're listening roughly with when this came out, there's really no excuse to not go and watch Babe. Yeah, and Tubi is so a better and better selection than everything else as time goes on. I knew I recognized the wife, and you've nailed it, Connor. Wow. <laughs> Oh. One might also recognize the voice of a uh, the Matrix regular, that being Hugo Weaving playing the sheepdog Rex, which is pretty great. He brings a very gruff presence to it. And also, uh, really quickly, also, uh, Christine Cavanaugh, um, may she rest in peace, a fantastic voice actress from the 1990s and the 1980s, um, famously brought to life uh, characters like uh, Chucky Finster from the Rugrats, Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory, and of course, uh, Babe of Babe. Fun fact that I learned, um, she so she didn't return for Babe in the Big City, the sequel, but mm-hmm. the voice actress of Tommy Pickles voiced Babe in the sequel, which I thought was kind of funny. Huh. I, I feel like I just got hit by like a freight train through all of this. <laughs> Back to Hugo Weaving for a second. When was this in the timeline of The Matrix and um, Lord of the Rings? As well before. Pre-both, yeah. Pre-both, okay. Because I was like, Hugo fucking, what? what?" (laughs) Anyway. And also, Connor, you briefly alluded to, um, yeah, the puppetry in this movie, the animatronics and the CG. Um, Mentioning that, yeah, it's, it's... uh, for me, really reminiscent of something like Jurassic Park, where there was this really graceful merger of claymation puppetry that was then rendered as computer imagery matched with actual animatronics and everything. And this movie uh, delivers on that front and, and, and in similar fashion to Jurassic Park in delivering all of that simultaneously really blurs the lines in some clever ways. And may, perhaps even to a greater extent uh, than Jurassic Park at times. I mean, there's several scenes in this movie where you're watching an actual animal interacting with a, an animatronic animal, and the actual animal has CG effects on it. You have to wrangle all of these elements at the same time and bring them all off together as convincing. And there's very few moments, even with age, that really stand out as clunky, given the harmony of those effects. And unlike Jurassic Park, there are very few scenes where no creatures are featured. Mm-hmm. They- Jurassic Park has swaths of time that go by where it's just humans um, or just empty space where they're we're waiting for the dinosaurs. This is all animals almost all the time. We have a sheep pig. <laughs> it really works so well and looks good by today's standards. Like I, I, I didn't bat an eye, um, especially with the, uh, all the border collie talking. Cause for the most part, babe doesn't really have CGI mouth going on. Babe Either is the animatronic babe, which looks so good and so beautifully rendered, or you've got the tr- 
trained pig opening and closing his mouth. One of my favorite scenes is around Christmas when he just starts singing the Christmas song. And it's just the real pig opening and closing his mouth, just like crooning at the moon. It's the cutest thing ever. And it looks wonderful. Uh, that's one of my favorite scenes ever. Yeah. But la, la, why does la. this? But, what? But he's doing that. And you're thinking that he's going to be Christmas dinner. It, it's so fucked up. What so is the thing the movie up. says? Christmas is carnage. <laughs> I did laugh at that. I did laugh, but and everyone's like, "Oh no, oh no, he's gonna be dinner." I was crying. There's also a scene in this movie, yeah, where our uh, our protagonist, the titular babe, at one point, as a as a pig, like a smaller pig, is about to be blown away with a shotgun. <laughs> And what's what Connor you, you pointed it out to me the other day is like um this sort of like mythic callback to his origins where he grew up in this piggery after his mother was taken away they were fed through tubes and he uh he, he the narration comes in and just expresses something to the effect of like and babe saw a familiar shiny black tube and he knew to associate it with food so out of which he expected a surprise and we know it to be a shotgun that is so fucking dark <laughs> like unbelievably dark. I kept thinking about Okja, which we talked about on the pod. And, you know, it's definitely a tale about the meat industry and it characterizes a fictional animal, but one very similar to a pig that's basically raised to be eaten and has a very strong message about uh, about that industry and the cruelty towards animals. And I love, I like, I love Ocha, no prob, but I feel like Babe is like on a snack, another level where it has these same messages, but whereas Ocha felt somewhat more sort of, um, I guess, I, I, I wouldn't say like melodramatic, well, it's it like a little a social, like social justice Well, I, I think that Babe in many ways is also sort of, but it feels like Ocha was sort of really sort of like, in moments a little overwrought. Um, whereas Babe, I feel like, has these th- these threads of critiques of how humans treat animals, how, you know, beings treat other beings unlike them. But it does so in a way that, that feels um, a little bit dialed back, but in a way that cuts even deeper uh, than something that might, something like, like Okja, which really swells with drama. Sort of like the difference of a statement piece versus something that sews in those that subtext within the context of its kind of like fairy tale story. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, and like whereas in Okja you see the cruelty directly, and it's harrowing, and it's shocking, and it really is moving. But I feel like there's something so effective with Babe in the implied darkness. We don't we don't really see a lot of like cruelty. But everything is implied in such a in a tight, effective way, but in a really dark and fucked up way that I, for me, being the receiver and viewer of that story feels even more intense. Except when Babe is literally looking down the barrel of a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> but Babe, I, yes, yes. I was like sobbing on my couch that 
is like scarred into my retinas. Just this tiny pig with the, <laughs> the fucking rope around his neck at the, at the business end of a shotgun. And he doesn't know what's going on. And as you said, Dave, that quote of like, oh, perhaps food. I want surprise. <laughs> I literally, I was like, if he goes, I go. I ca- I can't live in a world where I just watch this. <laughs> I can't. And not knowing the movie, it could really go that way. Like um, Fly says, we all know. I know exactly what happens when an animal kills one of Farmer Hoggett's sheep. Like that is the world. That like that's what happens. And the kill um, count, both implied and part of the story, is pretty high. You've got. Mm-hmm. Ma. What's the user name? Ma. Mm-hmm. You got Ma. You got who we think is main goose, but it's sadly like some other beloved goose that gets killed. Oh, the the duck. Yeah. Ro- uh, oh, the Ro- duck. Ro- Rosalie or Roseanne or something. Oh, I think it's. <laughs> is, is, yeah. The, the duck's uh, Ferdinand's uh, duck uh, girlfriend who unfortunately becomes Christmas dinner at one point. Oh, my God. And. Connor has just pointed out another Twilight name. Wow. There needs to be some conspiracy theories about Babe and Twilight. Um, Quickly, uh, one quick note, uh, by the way, speaking about, uh, you know, this film's uh, statements about the cruelty of, uh, well, and and it is also like the cruelty of it is really kind of just at the onset as far as like the meat industry, uh, where it is just sort of these, this sun, they say a sunless world that these pigs live in where they're just like, you know, in pens and, 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 uh, when their mother is stripped from them, just like fed through tubes and so on. It does observe the rest through the lens of a pretty like ethically sourced farm, like it was with sustainability and so on. But at the same time, that, that looming sense of carnage, that sense of, uh, commodification and consumption is still a part of these animals' lives very consciously, which is pretty intense. When that, when this movie came out, uh, James Cromwell was a vegetarian. After it, he became a vegan. And uh, at the time of this movie's release, 1995, after its release, pork sales went down 20% in the United States. Damn. Well, Americans have short memories, so it probably went <laughs> right back up. <laughs> then the McRib came and it all was, all was lost. And then everyone just forgot about Babe. How could you forget? I'm sorry to keep bringing it up. I, we watched a pig almost get shot. <laughs> I, I was... Like, what the fuck? I'm sorry. I'm going to stop talking about it. But, like, there was definitely a moment, like, through my sobs where I was like, if this happens, I will never forgive Dave. I won't. I. It's just, it's over. I'm leaving the podcast. I can't live like this. That's like the uh, Christina Hendricks scene in Drive. It's just, blam! (laughs) Well, I think it's like a kid's movie that doesn't treat its audience with kid's gloves. Exactly. I I was thinking about The Iron Giant. Um, of course you were because <laughs> I always think about Brad Bird's Iron Giant check out that episode from a while ago um, well the idea of like he is a war machine who can annihilate nations you know so there's like like but that's like hand, like it's built in the character it's built in the themes the stories so these dark moments are not random or they're not you know censored they're tied into this world, I mean, the kind of going back to Lord of the Rings, the Christmas duck scene is so visceral, right? I think it's in Return of the King, where the one king is eating all this, like, meat really grossly and berries. Oh, and that and one cherry tomato. And the one cherry... Well, it's like that, like, these... as the, His son or son-in-law 
Hoggett Jr. is like pulling apart the duck and it's juicy and all the like sound is like very impactful of like they're just ripping into this bird who was a creature with feelings and thoughts. Like there's like these really dark themes are not censored or not covered up. They're just kind of slowly rolled out throughout the movie and not shown a huge spotlight to like traumatize people, but just like presented as that's how it is. That's Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's like, it's not over moralizing because to both David Connor's point, this is the ongoings of just a farm in which there are animals who get either shorn for their wool or killed for their meat. And that's how it works. And I think there are some amazing scenes that reflect on like what strong parenting is like. Like when when Babe gets told by the shitty cat that all his purpose in life is to be food, and this shakes Babe to the core. I mean, what a fundamentally like earth-shattering reveal to be told that your whole existence is just to be consumed and eaten. And then he goes to fly his uh, his new mother, Border Collie, and is like, is this true? Like, am I just going to be eaten? And she's like, yeah, it's true. Like, but with just this very straightforward way of handling, like a child essentially coming to a parental figure and being like, are we all going to die, essentially? And it's like some a creature facing its own mortality. And the the like parental figure or the mentor or whatever being like, yep, that that's it. And which is kind of how the movie handles those themes to its childhood audience. Yeah. It's, it's just without padding it or coding it. And it's, I, I just found that scene so like revelatory uh, in treating its really fundamental themes in such a straightforward but thoughtful manner. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up, Christine, because I've also been thinking a little bit about identity and how this movie plays with that, like uh, predisposed versus chosen. And obviously, like the whole film is about him becoming the sheep pig. But, you know, the the very first time that Babe meets Fly and the puppies, she asks him what his name is. And he's like, I don't have one. My mom called us all Babe. And like, you know, she wasn't around long enough to name all of us. And there wasn't that like connection. Not that I'm going to keep saying I'm going to kill myself after all of these things, but like it it really does make an adult have to think really hard about these things. And, and I think it's great that kids are grappling with that too. Yeah. And I think, um, I think we've pretty well covered the horror of this movie, uh, but it is also a film that has tremendous heart and, uh, and, and, and especially in some scenes and some sequences and some themes and ideas that I'm looking forward to getting into. What, what do you guys think about the, the more tender elements of this movie, the more sentimental parts of it? Something that I fell in love with is Babe's relationship with the sheep. I think having him approach it being like, well, I didn't have to insult them. I didn't have to scare them. I just talked to them and I just asked them to move. Like, that's beautiful. That's brilliant. That is a lesson for children, for adults, for everybody. And I think Babe's relationship with Ma also um, particularly because it starts off 
sort of strange. And Ma makes him question his reality at that point, right? He knows Fly as this wonderful, caring, nurturing, like, mother figure. And then he said, and she says, like, Mm, I don't think so. Like, not to us. So it gives them a lot to think about. So the fact that they're able to continue building that strong relationship and then the, the other sheep, even after Ma's horrific passing, uh, <laughs> they continue to love Babe and help him eventually at the end. Yeah, it's uh, Hoggett's attitude. And, and as, as is explained by the narration, the notion that uh, little ideas that tickle and nag and refuse to go away should be trusted. For in them is the stuff of destiny. And in that is uh, his instinct that uh, having watched the pig on his farm successfully uh, separate white and and brown hens, uh, almost like, you know, like a sheepdog would, he entrusts Babe to uh, take the helm and like, why why don't we see if this pig could be a good sheepdog? And it's a wonderful sequence because there's this great progression of um, his herding techniques, Babe's. Um, it starts off with him barking at them like he is literally a sheepdog, which, of course, they laugh at and ridicule. Uh, he goes to consult Fly on the sidelines, who tells him that, like, look, you need to be mean to them. You need to be forceful. And he comes back and berates them and bites them. It, it's then that the sheep kind of like uh, with this because of mob, because of this established relationship with him outside of the context of be- him being a herding animal that degrades or, or disregards their their individuality and treats them like inferiors just says to him like look you're not a a wolf which is what they call sheepdogs it's it's not in you you're you're gentle you're kind and i know that and it's at that point that he starts trying to kind of approach sheep herding through the lens of empathy through the lens of like look you know i i know you don't feel that i know we have different points of view but it would be good for us both if we make this work we see this return to again when hoggett is trying to administer um some medicine some oral medicine to some of the sheep and they're resisting it. And babe walks over to them and says like, well, you know, I I know you don't like the taste of that medicine, but it might be what's best for all of us. So like, you know, maybe just go along with it. And they do. And he's able to, he's able to bridge the gap of this farmyard, barnyard class system through empathy and understanding through communication and through bridging the gap of that system, which I think is is pretty unique and pretty great. And that's something that he teaches as, as you guys have pointed out, that his instinct for empathy and communication is what he radiates and teaches everyone else, including the people he looks up to as like, you know, parental or mentor or family figures. It's like, like Fly and Rex, yeah. yeah. Like Fly and Rex. So you've got them. I mean, Rex... Rex has an interesting arc where you're like, oh, fuck, this dog is going to die because it's like because he's becoming this terror. But then has like a, a nice turn. But so you but for Fly, at least you have her, you know, helping bring Babe into the fold and being that kind of mother maternal figure. But yeah, she still has some deep rooted biases and issues and babe like teaches her so many things and it's just this beautiful reciprocal relationship and uh yeah babe just radiates innocence and warmth but babe also goes through a character arc of of you know wisening to the the cruel world and And especially yeah on um on Fly and on Rex, I think is really important because Fly does 
view it, it it's even a scene where um midway through the film babe is in trouble because he's being accused of killing ma because that's what hoggett came to find after babe showed up to try to rescue her from these feral dogs um this is the you know the shotgun scene we've been so talking about but when she goes to talk to them she is at first forceful as is her you know learned prejudice of of how to deal with these sheep but then recognizes like okay I've got to slow down. I've got to stop. I'm I'm going to have to just like transcend my my biases and talk to them as individuals to truly understand what's going on here. And the sheep recognizing that within her and that exchange kind of through through babe vicariously breaking down a barrier of of ignorance because like it, it even says in the narration uh via fly's perspective is like it's a, just a cold fact of nature that uh sheep are stupid and need to be commanded. And then by contrast, immediately after says of the sheep is like, well, it's it's common knowledge among sheep, a cold fact of nature that a wolf is ignorant and breaking down those barriers through the vehicle that Babe provides in this barnyard is so powerful. Not to go back to the shotgun scene. <laughs> I, I just I just want to have a conversation with Hoggett. How as a man with experience owning, operating a farm. How on God's green earth did you think your first assumption was that a pig killed this sheep? She's like slit in the throat. She's all over. And you think of that's such a good point. What the fuck? Uh, Huh? He's also Farmer Hoggett, who has responsibly raised animals for the purposes, uh, you know, ethically of eating them when the time comes. And Babe is, you know, as the film very clearly states, is an example of that. But he's about to fill this like relatively small pig at point blank range with, you know, buckshot. That's going to ruin that meat. That's not a very responsible decision. I think that's what ties into the fabulistic, you know, kind of elements of it. But also we come to understand, you know, Rex's backstory, you know, which is crushing. I mean, we understand that he um, there was a flood. Some of the sheep were lost and he stayed with them all night trying hope against hope that he could he could. He could shepherd them back to safety and ultimately all of them drowned and he was found uh, like half drowned himself and permanently disabled as uh, as a sheepdog. He could have been, you know, we're, we're told the champion of champions, but because of that cold night trying to wrangle these sheep, uh, his hearing was destroyed or at least uh, was at least um, impacted. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's George Miller. There's just so many layers to everything that all build toward the broader message of like empathy and understanding and communication, but drawing in so many different examples of how prejudice contrary to that message are defined and then overcome, which ultimately comes right down to also, I mean, another one of the most beloved scenes, the, if I had words scene with James Cromwell and babe, uh, where babe, uh, has been convinced by the cat. And, uh, as we discussed, has been, verified and confirmed by fly to be a ticking clock until he's meat uh just a meal to his beloved boss uh that being cromwell's hoggett uh and he becomes resigned to his fate and defeated and uh retreats out into the wilderness uh he's ultimately brought back by uh fly and by rex who uh, at this point really doesn't like him so that's another redemptive arc and hoggett brings him back and he's trying to encourage him to eat but it's it's not really until Hoggett illustrates to him while trying to feed him that he values him beyond his stock and station, 
that he truly values him as an individual being through song. Uh, of course, that being, if I had words, I'd make a day for you. And that ultimately convinces Babe uh, to find the motivation to go on, which is the long-awaited recognition of validity to individuality and almost ironically humanity. And what an effective way to make that feel, that scene feel even more moving. What an effective choice to have the farmer character be a, a character of few words not really reveal much interiority. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think it I think Cromwell's performance is so good because he speaks volumes in his face without speaking. But but the character is very reserved. And then in the moment where he sings and dance or like where there's music and he's dancing, it's it just is this like burst of movement and energy that like feels more like a climax or I guess as important of a climax as ultimately babe winning the sheepdog contest that is the true climax of the movie but as far as the relationship climax that feels so um so moving it's so rare when a film can have like two or more emotional climaxes. Um, And Babe, I think really through George Miller, probably solely um, achieving that through the writing and the screenplay, um, where you can have these multiple arcs of just overwhelming emotion from places of sincerity, um, you know, tying into theme, into well-written characters, multiple layers operating throughout the whole arc of the full movie. Um, Just really, spectacular and very few films can pull off the tricks that babe (laughs) pulls off which is um just kind of a wild thing to think about and i mean speaking also of music and of direction this is originally going to be uh scored by jerry goldsmith uh who of course is a hollywood legend um but the score that he composed in in a film like this was deemed too dark so it was it was handed over to a man named Nigel Westlake, uh, another composer. And I think the score does a hell of a lot of legwork in this movie, on top of an already really good movie. Like, there's the one moment where we see Fly and Rex first out in the field herding sheep, darting in these two opposite directions to the swelling, beautiful score that's, like, so operatic, so, like, sentimental. And it's, like, it practically makes a ballet of what's being seen on screen, which is ultimately just sheep herding but it draws your attention through the score to the nuance grace and art of all of it so it just it really heightens so many moments this this beautiful score that's going on and speaking to direction chris noonan uh the credited director of this movie has made a bit of a stink about how uh ultimately george miller was really at the helm of this project and sort of uh overpowered him a little bit miller fired back that uh he he has not discredited him in any way and basically handed him this movie on a plate, which is uh, a bit of big talk on both of their parts. But at the end of the day, whether it be Miller, who perhaps I suspect it maybe more was, or Noonan, the final uh, scene with the the final sheep herding tournament where Babe is finally accepted into this tournament and is going to be uh, acting as a sheepdog in a sheepdog tournament uh, much to everyone's like hilarity, like we we start that whole sequence with the audience like cracking up, the announcers kind of mocking the whole scenario. It's this sort of like fanfare of judgment and um, almost like condemnation. Like this is ridiculous. This is a disgrace to the sport. 
But then the moment Babe starts effectively navigating that situation, there's the directorial choice to drop out a score, to drop out the crowd noise, because it's almost like it almost heightens and illustrates to us in a way that a score normally would through silence, a sense of awe, which is incredible. It's a great choice. Yeah, I didn't realize that was happening until I was like, everything is so quiet. It's so silent. And you're really, really focused on what Babe is doing and what the the sheep are doing. And I think it's a, it's a fun moment because they're playing around with sort of how humans view these animals and how the animals view each other. It's kind of going back and forth. So you don't quite know what moment it, it's in. So I, I don't know. I think that's really great. So I'm curious, Dave, about whether or not this is an underrated because now I'm deep in, I I had known it was like nominated for like an Academy Award, but I didn't realize it was nominated for six, seven Academy Awards and it won one, mm-hmm. which I had no idea. This is wild. Yeah, and the one that it walked away with was uh, visual effects. Visual and, effects, uh, which, no which it certainly earns through the Henson, there. yeah, Henson team and and everything else. The merger of CGI, actual animals, and and uh, animatronics. But yeah, it was pretty celebrated by the Academy, but only walked away with the one win. I've been having similar thoughts with a pick that is coming up very soon about its underrated nature, um, where I don't think this movie gets enough credit as really a modern children's masterpiece. Um, I think that's kind of where I landed up being underrated. Like Dave, as you mentioned at the top of the episode, most people know it for that will do pig that will do or Ba Ram you like those are iconic moments, but the film is so much more than just a couple funny one liners or memes. Um, It's a really stunning children's film that works on, any number of levels that we could probably go on and on for for hours and hours so i think it's it's i think appreciated in the public but underrated in its mastery yeah it reminds me a bit of a, a king of the hill quote which is peggy hill in her frustration trying to inspire children to read a tale of two cities and she says uh in her frustration finally breaking down everything in life is between the covers of this book and like I think this movie covers a tremendous amount of ground for a children's movie, uh, for a movie that is ultimately remembered as a pig herding sheep. I think there's a version, and I, there's a version of this movie where it's done by the people who make the Minion movies, Illumination, and it's just so garish <laughs> and so like pop music put in. Like there's a there's so many versions of Babe where it just feels kind of soulless, emotionally manipulative, purely just kiddie entertainment where. Miller and company really put way more effort than they really needed to (laughs) into like a movie about a pig who hurts sheep that's based off of a kid's book. There's a babe version that's directed by Tom Hanks and it's CGI babe. Direct. No, it's directed by Robert Zemeckis and uh, Farmer Hoggett is Tom Hanks. I'm looking at you, Pinocchio coming up. (laughs) There's a world in which babe gets the Pinocchio treatment with the Zemeckis Hanks, uh, <laughs> double whammy. <laughs> I see that and raise you M. Night Shyamalan. There'd be so, oh, wait. Actually, mm. I want to see a fucked up babes directed by M. Night. Yes. 
Damn, you just gave Christine her like ultimate movie. <laughs> the pig, babe. the the pig was bacon the whole time. <laughs> oh my god, Babe Three. Yes, I'll think of a I'll think of an M Night pun. Well, that having been said, I suppose that rounds out the film Babe. Unless anybody else has uh, anything they want to bring up before we bring this underrated film uh, to a conclusion. Any any final thoughts? It's not urgent. But two things. First one is justice for our feline companions. I am yes. tired of this beaten down narrative of cats are villainous, cats don't care. Enough. Enough of this bullshit. I agree with that, Sam. And it does it does make a point of like the narrator even saying, like, now I'm sure there are plenty of fine cats out there, but this one. But like, yeah, I yeah, it's it's enough. they're wonderful animals. They yeah. are chaos made flesh, but they're wonderful. They are. And I was watching the movie surrounded, cuddled by two of them. So I was like, I'll I'll get you fave for so many things and then the other thing not serious at all just a shout out to the mice uh the, mm. the every vignette was like separated and, and announced by these mice sometimes they'd be laughing and singing sometimes they're just and that, that like they peer at the bottom of the screen uh first i liked it uh then i got annoyed and then i came back around again and i was like you know what i love these mice and that was actually uh, in large part because of George Miller doing sc- early screenings for kids and the kids not being able to read the title chapters fast enough. So he decided, let's have these uh, little mice sing it. Aw. Yeah, it's, I feel like the mice are cute, but also like the sort of like Greek chorus, like, like especially in the tr- like sort of tragic moments and the mice kind of pop in and be like, this is where our protagonist almost gets killed by a shotgun. <laughs> and they like, it, there's almost something gleeful in their characterization of like watching all this, like fucked up, all of these fucked up things unfold. And they're just singing and like super, super high, like singing moon river or whatever and super high voices. Well, it's kind of a mournful one too, though. When Rex is sedated and is no longer able to uh, to perform as a sheepdog, if you look really close, uh, even though that the, the Rex is obviously uh, a pretty well designed puppet that really emphasizes his like deflatedness, there's a little actual mouse scurrying around his leg, almost like it's being sympathetic. I don't know. There, it seemed like there was some Sean Freud and the the those mice just like watching <laughs> terrible things. Uh, right before their little mice eyes. I'm a sucker for a Greek chorus and any sort of classical theater, theatrical trope, but I gotta say, I really hated these mice. <laughs> in, execu- in execution. I hate Alvin and the Chipmunks, like, with a passion. There I hate is that. that voice. Mm-hmm. I hate everything that they stand for, the cartoons, those new movies. Like, many Samsung thumbs down, like, 40 billion thumbs down for Alvin and the Chipmunks. And just, like, it's like all i heard whenever they read a title i'm just sorry like i don't love chapter breakdowns in movies nope did this and i thought that was one of the weaker parts of the movie if anyone you know when we probably talk about that one day uh, and so i was like oh it's like i know it's like a kid's book i don't know for me that was like probably the biggest weakness of the movie was just like how these chapters I don't know. For me, that didn't really do it. And then having the mice and their horrible voices do that just like really was like it did not derail the movie, but it was like 
can I just like, is there like a 10 second fast forward button on Tubi so I can just keep going back to the wonderful, the wonderful film? Uh, and I think there are some scene transitions that are a little disappointing also, just without, even without that uh, being taken into account also in terms of the editing. Yeah. But on the whole, perhaps an underrated movie. I don't know. What do you got? Final, final, final thoughts. You guys, what would you guys say? Underrated uh, for whatever reason, yes or no? Yes. Underrated masterpiece. Yeah. Underrated. I never want to see it again. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think underrated. Like, I think because I missed maybe if we were talking about this when it just came out and it was like all anyone was talking about up, you know, with Oscar buzz. Sure. But in today's day, nobody's talking about babe and they should be. Agreed. Especially as it stands at odds with uh, now uh, revived, celebrated uh, director George Miller. Uh, I think, of course, uh, the Mad Max franchise, as I've discussed before, my favorite film franchise. But I think uh, just about any story that he'll tell, except uh, maybe the way he told the one I was talking about at the beginning, uh, always come off as truly fascinating. And um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I think it's a credit to, to even though this is a quote unquote Chris Noonan film, uh, I think, uh, you know, Miller is really. Uh, via the screenplay and via his like 10 year effort to make this movie, uh, really, uh, it's just a credit to him as a, as a, as an, as a, well, a storyteller, but also, yeah, just a, a filmmaker in general. So that will bring us to a close as far as babe. Uh, we are still going to be continuing the, our underrated movies theme. As you join us next week, uh, we've got some really interesting choices coming that are perhaps going to be a little bit less light than the previous two but that i am very much looking forward because two because we've discussed them for a long time in and in and off the show so that'll be really exciting uh when you rejoin us next week uh before we get to uh signing off of course we want to thank the movie john podcast network for all the great work that they do and for supporting this show along with the suite of other really great philly-based podcasts uh, we want to let you know that uh, we appreciate you. And of course, we're looking forward to hearing what you guys think of uh, these movies, whether or not you think they're underrated, whether you think they are perhaps overrated. Uh, throw us uh, throw us a bit of a curveball on social media, either via Butter With That on Instagram, Butter With That One on Twitter, Butter With That on Facebook, and of course, Butter With That Podcast at gmail.com, where we look forward to your correspondence. Before we say goodbye, uh, ultimately for the day, does anybody else have anything they want to add? How do the sheep communicate their secret code? That's not a problem. It's just a question. Like, I'm just curious. Like, the sheep society where they know the Bahram you. It's just one lingering thought that I have. Don't they tell each other? Wait, what do you mean? Like, the global sheep network. Or is this just, like, a regional sheep code? Like, the logistics of the code. I've been thinking about. It seemed regional to me. I don't know. I think it's a. I think it's a species thing. I think that they, as a species, yeah. have that as like a something that is just sort of like a, almost like a cultural or ancestral memory. It's the SCU, the Sheep Countryside Universe. <laughs> there you go. Very good. That, that's my. That's my lingering thought. Well, asked and answered. <laughs> but um, of course, yeah. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you folks next week with another underrated film. And uh, until then, of course, have a good whatever. That will do. <laughs> oh, that will do. There it is. Oh.
This has been a Movie John podcast.